My name is Lex, and this week on Spidey Signals, me and my co-host Alex discuss Greg Wiseman and Victor Cook's The Spectacular Spider-Man, body horror on kids' TV, and just how much of a douche you can be to your son before it gets to be excessive. Get ready to live on the edge, because it's time for Spidey Signals. Welcome back to Spidey Signals, the podcast where two guys with the same name talk about Spider-Man. I'm Lex. And I'm Alex. Last week, we had a very great season uh, premiere. We talked about Spider-Man Blue. Uh, that's a good comic. Still still emotionally recovering from it. Good, good-ass comic. Uh, but this week, we're jumping right in. Because we have kind of a lot to talk about. So much so that we, for the first time, split it up into four different episodes. Because we're talking about an entire two-season run of a television show. Take that, Hunger Games and Twilight, with your two-parters. Check out our four-part shit. Fuck you, film industry. Get ready for a solid month of two grown men talking about a children's cartoon. But it's, it's, a, da- it's a damn good children's cartoon, don't get me wrong. Oh, yeah. Uh, we're talking about the first six episodes that comprise the first half of the first season of the spectacular Spider-Man. Uh, these six episodes were released from March 8, 2008 to April 12, 2008. The, these uh, episodes were originally the first season was broadcast on the CW. Uh, and then on the second season, it switched over to Disney XD. And that's We'll get into that later on in the mm. next couple of episodes, but that uh, network switch is uh, going to play a role in the, the downfall of this yeah. program. If, if you are a listener or know anything about Spider-Man at all, more than you know, just any guy on the street, uh, there's a long history of rights being tied up and, and multiple parties having a stake in Spider-Man at any given point, so I'm, I'm sure that had a huge bit to play in it. Yeah, and of course that all happened because Marvel ate shit and went bankrupt in the 90s, partially because of another thing that we're going to be talking about later this season uh, called the Clone Saga. Yay! (laughs) Yeah! Uh, This show was created by Greg Wiseman and Victor Cook. The episodes in this, uh, the first six episodes were directed in order by Cook, Troy Adamatis, I hope I'm saying that right, Mm. Dave Bullock, and Dan Fawcett, uh, they sort of interchange out towards the end there, but it's those four guys that directed all the episodes. Uh, and it was written by Wiseman, uh, Kevin Hopps, Matt Wayne, and Andrew Robinson. Uh, as for our cast, I'm not going to go through the cast every episode because it's a TV show, but I will change them out depending on you know villains and characters that we see. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have Josh Keaton, as Peter Parker slash Spider Man, who you might know, he's in a lot of a lot of these uh, actors are voice actors in tons of different stuff. It's a very very big who's who. That's exactly the phrase that I used when I was like reading the credits after the first episode. I was like, oh good god, who isn't in this show? It's a real who's who. But Josh Keaton, uh, you might know best uh, as the voice of Revolver Ocelot in Metal Gear Solid Three Snake Eater. <laughs> I did not know that. Oh my god. <laughs> Six shots. 
More than enough to kill Spider-Man. More than enough to kill Spider-Man. Uh, Alan Rations uh, as Norman Osborn, who was best known for a long stint on L.A. Law, and they just got him to be in this program. Hey, why not? Why not? Uh, Lacey Shabert, who you might know from Mean Girls and Party of Five, and she also played uh, the main girl in Wild Thornberries uh, as Gwen Stacy. Benjamin Diskin, uh, who you might, if you're an anime fan, you might know him as the voice of young Joseph Joestar in part two of JoJo, the dub. Uh, or number one from Codename Kids Next Door. He plays Eddie Brock slash. Oh, wait. Not yet. Oh. Who could Eddie Brock be? He just plays Eddie Brock. Just Eddie Brock. We've got Deborah Strang as Aunt May. James Arnold Taylor, uh, best known as the voice of Obi-Wan Kenobi in the Clone Wars cartoons. Underous applause for me over here for James Arnold Taylor. As Harry Osborn himself. And uh, we've got, lastly, in our, our first lineup, Darren Norris as J. Jonah Jameson. Who I only recently remembered. He's uh, he was on fucking like Ned's Declassified School Survival Guide. I yeah, think he, he's in he's been in a bunch of stuff. Uh, but I also know him bad. He's also the voice of Cosmo in mm-hmm. the Fairly Odd Parents. Uh, but I of course know him best as the janitor from yes. Ned's Declassified School Survival Guide. Super talented cast, and that's that's just in that pilot episode. Those names we've named that doesn't even scratch some of the other like massive names attached. There's, it really is just just a who's who. Uh, there's mm-hmm. fucking Keith David, oh, as God. Keith David is in this show. Great Lyle, John DiMaggio, fucking Robert England plays the Vulture. I'm I'm almost proud of myself, and I'm almost like disappointed with myself. I'm not quite sure because it mean either way. I'm just too far gone with this shit. But uh, I've been watching this show with my partner, and the first time we hear the big man's voice, I sat bolt upright in my chair and I was like, "I swear to Christ, that's Keith David." And I was like leaning yeah. on the edge of my seat. I was like, yeah, no, that's the Arbiter. Oh, my God. I was like, the Arbiter? <laughs> I can't bring up Keith David in this house without anyone rolling their eyes because of the five minute fight scene and they live. But <laughs> there's there's it's ever D. Bradley Baker Ed Asner apparently plays Uncle Ben, which he hasn't yeah. actually said anything in this program yet. R.I.P. Ed Asner. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I love not knowing what happens yet. Normally, you know, like I've said on this podcast, a lot of times I, I become kind of a fiend for canon and I like knowing what happens in things, even if I haven't seen them. I've managed to avoid that with this show. So this is all new to me. We haven't even got to the Mysterio episode yet. Let's go. Doc Ock hasn't even shown up. But he hasn't even become Doc Ock yet. Oh, my God. It's, it's going to be a very, very fun month on this podcast, as opposed to in the past where we've had like, oh, two or three great pieces of media in a row. And then we got to eventually we've got to cover an amazing two or something. But then we have to do I, Spider-Man three and amazing one and amazing two. <laughs> this is going to be a fun, a fun series of episodes just from what I've seen so far. I've, I've had a lot of fun with the show. Uh, and lastly, before we move on, the music in this pro- in this series was done by Christopher Carter, who is mostly known for a lot of DC animated universe stuff like Batman the Animated Series, Superman, Batman Beyond. Uh, <laughs> Michael McCusiton? I, th- I don't know. It's kind of a weird last name. And uh, Lolita Ritmanis, who also worked on Batman Beyond. Uh, and the main theme song is done by The Tender Box. Very good theme song. I have literally had it stuck in my head all day. I uh, At this time of recording, I've broken my cell phone for the third time this year. 
So Happy. today was my my first day on the job without a phone again. Uh, so no no podcasts, no Spotify, anything in the background. I swear to God, at least five times today, I cut myself going. It's good. It's really good. It's an earworm for sure. Something like that. Uh, Alex, do you have yeah. any personal experiences with this program before we get into it? Not terribly. No. Um, I was probably in the target, like dead center bullseye target demographic. As I mentioned, I was freshly 12 when the show premiered. Uh, I grew up mostly without cable. I had TV in very infrequent spurts. I think I had it for like a year in middle school, maybe a year in elementary school, and then kind of reliably from high school on. But uh, my my adolescence, I, I kind of dropped off of cartoons pretty hard. I was insanely edgy in my youth, and I, I tried very much to distance myself from kiddie things, whereas at the ripe old elderly age of 25, I've, I own more action figures now than I think I ever have. Uh, I do a weekly podcast with my friend about Spider-Man, so I'm not nearly as, uh, as you know, ooh, about that kind of thing as I used to be. But for some reason, this totally just completely flew by my radar, even until like now uh, I, you know, I'm subscribed to most of the major Spider-Man like subreddits and stuff. And I see everyone talk about how great Spectacular was and bring back Spectacular. It shouldn't have been canceled. Let's get a season three. And for the longest time, I was like, oh, it's it's probably fine. It's probably a good show. Uh but not until very, very recently for this podcast, if I sat down and uh, actually made the time to finish it or rather start it, consume it at all. It's been great. Um, I just uh, it's really good timing, too, because like the day before I started, I finished uh, catching up on the Venture Brothers. So uh, my my cartoon slot opened wide open. So I'm very happy to have finally gotten acquainted with this show. Yeah, I'm I'm in, a, in the same boat as you. I'm a, although I'm a little younger than you, I was also sort of in that target demographic. I remember when the like the McDonald's toys came out for this. Uh, it was kind of like everywhere, and eventually, as I got into those those Spider-Man circles, you hear a lot about this show. It's just it's something that people talk about all the goddamn time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and watching just these first six episodes, I'm like, I yeah, I agree with this. Let's fucking they're probably never going to bring back this show. No. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's let's be realistic. Let, let's be let's be real. We're not going to get a, a Zack Snyder cut esque thing going I on. I legitimately here. saw somebody on the subreddit the other day asking for a web cut of Amazing One and Two. And I, I, Good thought, God. I, I actually groaned. <laughs> I, I don't go out of my way to downvote shit off and I feel horrible. But I did with this guy. I was just like, why would you? Why do you think they would throw the time, resources, and money at that? I don't know. I don't know. Adding back in the Mary Jane subplot into spite in the into <laughs> Amazing Spider-Man Two is not going to make that movie any better. In fact, it'll probably make it worse. We would get spectacular season three before we get the web cut. Uh, yeah, I, I grew up, you know, as a Firefly kid, all that kind of thing. I'm no stranger to oh, we need more. The what we had was so good. That's never the case. Uh, a lot of time when something gets canceled and it was good, if you dream of bringing it back, it's not going to be nearly that great. I'm, a, I'm specifically, I'm a diehard mystery science theater guy, and I, I kicked into the Kickstarter to bring it back. And I loved season 11, but season 12 kind of got me like, oh, okay, I kind of don't care as much anymore. And lo and behold, it got canceled. And there's this little voice in my head that's like, oh, wow, maybe things should just end someday you know yeah it's i feel like the only the only time that's ever really worked like a tv revival that hasn't been like terrible or really like middling is something like 
Twin Peaks. Where That's actually and precisely the example I was thinking of. Where the, they come back because the main creator has ideas. Exactly. You don't want to just come back because of fan demand and it's just like, uh, fucking whatever, just make up shit. There's even seeds in Twin Peaks, like towards the end, where they plant the idea of stuff with this plot revolving and coming around again in specifically 25 years. So it's not like David Lynch just woke up one day and was like, I want more Twin Peaks because I need to buy a ham sandwich and I have no money. Uh, I, I read today that they're doing a, a Sex in the City sequel series, and I'm like, who who is demanding this? I get like yeah. a Sopranos movie, but who? Why can't things just end? I don't want to have something end, and then 20 years later, I'm dead, and my ghost has to sit there and watch the re 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 remake of something. You know, it's it's oh god, pop cultural Ouroboros. It never ends. Some things do, like the spectacular Spider Man. Like the spectacular Spider Man. We're getting off track, but I. Yeah, I I've really really enjoyed this show so far. I don't want to get too absolutely, far into it. absolutely. The hype is the hype is real for once. The hype is real. Alex, do you want to take us through these six episodes of the spectacular Spider-Man? I would love to. Uh, as I've said in past episodes, you know, a lot of times when I'm more familiar with source material, I can I can sit and write my own Alex style synopsis. But I wanted to give these their full like due and pay close attention. So for these episodes, I am using synopses written by other people. Just, you know, want to be upfront about that. Don't need any plagiarism accusations or anything. But they're they're concise and we still have plenty of room to talk about. Like, do you, you know, remember where you got them from? from? It's cool. Uh, they're cobbled together from Wikipedia and IMDb. Shout out Wikipedia, IMDb. Uh, a hard salute to the hardworking content editors of our time who give me the extra time I need to watch Spider-Man cartoons. Let's go. So uh, we, we start off with our pilot episode. Uh, we do get like brief flashes to an origin at points over this show, but they they really they do a great thing with this show where they don't immediately just force us to sit through the nth origin story for Spider-Man that we get with these kind of things. And I, I actually, one of the first things I wrote in my note, uh, the first one I wrote was that I love the art style of this show. Because oh, the first great. shot that you see, the first shot that you see is a spider of the first episode. It's a spider crawling down a web and you see Manhattan, but it's like this super like cavernously tall Manhattan where the, all this, there's mm-hmm. all the skyscrapers are like 80 stories taller. And it's really, really great. And the other thing that I wrote is... Uh, the first thing that Peter talks about is how much, uh, you know, how much fun being Spider-Man is. And I'm like, Peter's exuberance is really good. And I know that what I'm going to compare it to came out afterwards, but it reminds me a lot of like homecoming and what that mm-hmm. movie got right. And the, or, the origin story is the same way. They don't throw it right at you. It's like, you know, this a lot of Spider-Man can get very, <clears throat> uh, not grim dark or anything, but just very, you know, bogged down in the, the Parker Luck style stuff. And a lot of stories where Peter just gets the shit beat out of physically, emotionally, mentally, whatever. So it's, it's a lot of those stories tend to just like breeze past the childhood years, the high school years. And that's what I love so much about the show is all the stuff we've gotten, you know, via the MCU with the more recent like stories we've gotten out of Tom Holland, Peter Parker it's just such a rich era and, and a really rich environment to tell stories in. I, I love a good college Spider-Man story. I love a good adult Spider-Man story, but there's just something so great about that, like Lee Ditko style, like early, early days. Uh, yeah, it's wonderful. And my, my, my suggestion to those people that really want those, those, those grim, dark Spider-Man stories is just go read Daredevil. Mm-hmm. Those are really great comics. 
Yeah, for a lot of very lot lot of similarities between those two characters. Just go read Daredevil. They even hang out sometimes. They even hang out sometimes. So in the at the beginning of our pilot episode, uh, it is the night before school starts, uh, the end of summer vacation. And Spider-Man, the alter ego of our main character, Peter Parker, you may know him, uh, is foiling an attempted bank robbery. Uh, great little action sequence, lots of quipping. And I love the quips in this show. I wanted to make a note and say, oh, yeah, it's never a lot of times in the comics and even more so in the movies, I, I, I get a groan. And this is coming from me. I don't know, listener, if you know me or not, but I I thrive on telling horrible jokes. It's 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 a facet of me. It's just I I am an awful I'm Satan's personal little jester with my jingling bells and cap. I, I, I hate it. I hate that about myself. I love it about myself. I love it about Spider-Man. Uh, but a lot of times his quips, I'm thinking specifically, again, of the amazing movies, which I somehow find a way to bring up in every episode. But um, just sometimes the quips just don't land. And that's that's a great thing about the show is I, I don't know what focus group they were using or what, but every quip in the show just feels just it, none of them have made me cringe so far. And that says a lot. The writing in the show is really, really spot on. And it, I was also thinking a lot about Blue and how well that show, that comic was written. Yeah. This is just another great example of, of characterization done well. Not all of these characters are like identical to their comic counterparts. Like uh, Dr. Octavius is a great example. And as, yeah, as we'll see, they make a lot, a lot of changes to these characters. But most of them are for good. Most of them are yeah. great changes. The reason that we bring up the, the amazing movies so much is because, you know, you, you got to have the lows to compare the highs. Right. To. Whenever we have a media that has so much high in it, you just have to have something to contrast it with. When we when we when we watch more terrible things like when we when we get to the clone saga and one more day, then we'll have more things to compare it to uh, negatively. I but, might be like actively drinking during the turn off the dark episode just a just a warning oh my <laughs> like, god the tur- the, you have uh, you have no idea i got an update from b you have no idea what you people are in for for the turn off the dark episode i'm so looking forward to it it's gonna be fucking nuts so spider-man is is foiling this bank robbery the night before school starts uh we get a little background uh like vignette a little away from there of this shadowed figure this this big man this mystery figure uh telling his henchman hammerhead who i wanted to note voiced by john dimaggio here uh bender also plays the sandman in this show Mm -hmm. bender uh jake from adventure time classic classic voice actor john dimaggio does a great hammerhead here uh they are summoning the enforcers more classic spider-man villains to I kill that, Spider-Man. I love that the, the fucking enforcers are here. Out of all people, the enforcers. People think of Spider-Man villains, like the immediate ones that come to mind are probably any of them from the movies, you know? Yeah, Green Goblin, Doc Ock. Like in that order, pretty much. Um, no one's favorite are the enforcers. Uh, I, I think Montana's a funny character myself, just because I love the idea of, oh, well, what's this thing? Well, he just wears a stupid hat and has a funny voice and does crime. He has, a, he has a rope. He's like a really like expert uh, rope trickster. Way back when we first started, like our like our episode zero, I think of the first season, I talked about a podcast that I really love called uh, "Screw It." We're just going to talk about comics, where they did their first season, where they talk about the Lee Ditko run. They do they go through every issue of it, mm-hmm. uh, and they're they've they've made many many jokes and had a lot of fun with the characters of the Enforcers. 
they like they wanted to make a TV show out of the Enforcers because they're such like weird. They're just like three guys. There's a big guy and a guy that knows kung fu and a guy that can do rope tricks and like that's the Enforcers. It's yeah, so the, stupid. Fancy Dan, the Ox, and Montana. It's so stupid. It, it, it it's three just dipshit characters that stick together because no one takes them seriously on their own. And because I'm glad rock. To, I'm glad to see them gathered here. Uh, the next day, on the first day of school, we're not quite back with Peter yet, but we're with uh, an aerodynamic engineer named Adrian Toomes, voiced by the big man himself, Robert England. Uh, fucking, I didn't realize that till after the episode, by the way. Yeah, I me neither. Listen to some of the clips, and I was like, spot fucking on. Yeah, I'm surprised the vulture never goes bitch at any point, but uh, great stuff. Uh, we're with Adrian Toomes. Uh at Oscorp, uh, he's working on an anti-gravity project, and he is completely outraged because there's been some corporate espionage bullshit happening behind his back. Uh, he's just viciously berates Dr. Otto Octavius uh, until Norman Osborn arrives on the scene uh, with fresh out of the do-rag, ready to, to wave it up. Norman Osborn, glad they kept that. We're feeling the motion of this ocean right now, and I, I love how like nebbish doc ock is he's like a, yeah this, like is it, he's not like uh the doc ock in the comics or in uh the rainy movie where he's got like a, a sort of a big ego on him even before he becomes a super villain this is not the doc ock of of superior spider-man this is a much more reserved auto and so it doesn't have it hasn't happened yet but i'm i'm ready to watch him fucking crack and become doc ock it's gonna be great uh, after their brief spat, Osborne dismisses Tombs, calling him a failure and a buzzard before he's escorted out by security. And like all these characters are stylized. Everybody's got like a thing about them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Norman just immediately just shows that he does not give a fuck. Uh, you're a buzzard. Whatever. You, you, you look like a bird. Get out of here. Yeah, they gave him the, you know, he has the bald head. They give him like a long hooked nose. It's like, yeah, fuck you. Otto is somehow even more squat than he was in the comics. He's just like a cylinder of a man. Yeah, he's like a, he's a sphere. And one thing I, I right now, say only six episodes in, Norman it like might be my favorite character in the whole show. I fucking he's pretty love good. how I love how just how much of it like he's not he hasn't even done any evil shit. He's not even the goblin yet. He's just a fucking douchebag. Yeah, like he's an he, ass. Every time he talks to Harry, he hates his son so much. It's so good. That's AI. There's always some plot, you know, thread somewhere in any given story about Norman having like derision or uh, just contempt, outright contempt for his son. They're not afraid of doing that in this kid's cartoon. Uh, it's it's really great. And then like in the comics, because part of the in the comics, like part of the re if I remember correctly, part of the reason that Norman hates Harry is because uh, his wife died in childbirth giving mm -hmm. birth to Harry. But in this, his wife's just alive. But yeah. he just still hates Harry anyway. He's no, like, it, fuck you, I hate you, son. I was going to say pretty much the same thing, because like, in, in at least like the Raimi telling, James Franco, Harry Osborne, is just a fucking complete dunce who does nothing correct except write plays. Um, so it makes sense for Willem Dafoe's like, high-powered businessman, go-go-go, piece-of-shit, broom-her, uh, Norman, to be, you know, 
in contempt of his son. This Harry, by all accounts, is a stand-up kid. He's smart, and he gets good grades, and he has a social life, and he's nowhere near the the ineptitude of James Franco's Harry, but Norman's gotta hate that boy. He's he's and you know he has trouble you know with studying for a calc exam. That's a, a big plot point. A, a couple of episodes later, uh, and uh, but eventually, like at the end of episode six, he's like, "I made the football team and I got an A on my test," and yada yada. He's like, "Shut the fuck up, Harry! I hate you. Go away." I want to talk to your friend Peter. I don't care. It's so it's so good. Uh. But yeah, uh, we get that great little moment. Uh, Tombs is about to be escorted out by security when he turns to Octavius and declares that he no longer blames Octavius for the theft of his work. Uh, You know, very snide shit. We do uh, get back to Peter at this point, who's arrived at the first day of school, catching up with his friends Gwen Stacy and Harry Osborne. Again, you know, we've talked a lot about Harry and a lot about Peter in this great Gwen in this show. They do... A really great job of uh, displaying how smart she is, which you don't. Yeah, that doesn't become like the defining aspect of her character in a lot of uh, portrayals. A lot of times she's used as a really shitty love triangle thing, like in like in uh, Spider-Man three. She has a great character about her in the first amazing uh things kind of go off the rails where she's just there to be there in the second movie. Let's be specific. She's there to die in the second movie. Yeah. A lot of writers just have a hard time utilizing Gwen as Gwen and instead use Gwen as a, a prop or as a tool for Peter or MJ or for any number of other characters. Gwen has a character in this show and no spider powers either. A lot of times when it's Gwen crazy. is crazy, sometimes the only times people get Gwen right is in like a ghost spider spider Gwen story. Not the case here. They it's a great, great take on the character. Um, yeah, because like normally to like if you're going to classify the like the not good interpretations of Gwen uh like the not good non spider Gwen versions of the character it's either uh blonde Mary Jane uh torture device for Peter or love triangle corner that's that's all she ever is you, those, you're pretty those, much limited there those, if you don't those shitty those shitty interpretations of Gwen but here it's the writing in the sh- she hasn't even done a whole lot in the show honestly yet there hasn't been like a development of of her and peter's like romantic interest right. but even still we're going to be saying this a lot even still only 6 episodes in it's w- really really well written yeah for sure uh just it's hard to get that character right for a lot of people for some reason and it's just not a problem on the show uh peter's catching up with gwen and harry uh Talking about how determined he is to get a date with uh, a Sally, who I believe is a new character. I'm not familiar I don't know, with some, her. Some cheerleader. She might have been in an old Lee Ditko issue. I don't remember. Uh, though both she and Flash Thompson uh, just deride him and humiliate him in front of everyone. You know, classic Peter stuff. Good Flash Thompson here. Not uh, not quite the I need to go join the army and be a good person of Spider-Man Blue, but just classic high school bully stuff without being like. I wouldn't want to fight me neither. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, It it, it rides the line, but it's not egregiously like so. It's so good. I remember it. Not so bad. I remember it. Does that make sense? Yeah. 
Uh, after school, Peter and Gwen are offered an internship at the science lab of Dr. Kirk Connors. Uh, Connors, who has a robot which, arm in this version. It's awesome, yeah. No, 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 Mamby Pamby. Oh, what if I had a good arm? This man made himself a good arm with science. He made himself a good arm, and he's still trying to give himself a flesh arm. Let's go, dudes rock. Um, this is another. I know we we sang the praises of Dr. Connors last week on uh, Spider-Man Blue. Another great take on the character here. Very compassionate, very family-oriented still. We get some great Mrs. and Billy stuff. Um, but he still shown- also has that he still also has that ambition that leads mm-hmm. to his downfall. It's a really well-balanced version of the character. Right. And well much more well-paced than Spider-Man Blue, I should say as well. That's um, true. After uh we're, we're, you know, we're briefly shown some Dr. Connor stuff. It's it's shown to us in a great little vignette flashback that that lab is where Peter got his superpowers. Um, very brief, you know, spider bite flashback. Good stuff. And Kurt knows he was bitten by the spider, but he doesn't know that that's, <laughs> that was what made him Spider-Man. And I think that's really interesting. Just like, oh, I remember you got bit by that spider. It's like, oh, yeah. He just never put the two together at Spider-Man showed up in the world just a few weeks, months later, I guess. Well, I mean, if you saw if you saw a kid get bitten by a spider at where you work and then like a few months later, this guy (laughs) with spider powers showed up, would you really put those two together? Maybe if I had a science brain, I don't know. I, I very much don't. But uh, the both Peter and Gwen accept this offer of the internship at the Connors lab. Uh, from there, Peter travels to Harry's apartment to is are they studying, hanging out? I I forget actually. They're just going to the Osborne residence. Yeah, he's 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 like waiting there, killing time before uh, the internship starts. Right where we get introduced, uh, not for the first time. He was there earlier, but this is where Peter, you know, gets to talk to Norman on screen for the first time. Nice little you know rapport established there. Norman is very congratulatory uh, on Peter's newfound career. Reminds me a lot of Raimi one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm something of a scientist myself. Uh, yeah, self-made man, Peter. I like that. Tombs, <laughs> meanwhile, uh, going by the name of the Vulture, uh, breaks in wearing uh, his his suit with his built-in metal wings and talons and such. Uh, Which is now anti- red instead of green. They changed red and the color. Black. Very yeah, red very, and black. Very cool. Very. I'm the vulture, the buzzard. Yeah, they, they, I guess they changed this color, I guess, because there's almost all of Spider-Man's villains have a have green in them because green contrasts yeah. with red and blue. For sure. But, you know, it looks it looks good. Not my favorite vulture, but definitely worse ways to show it. I, I, I think probably Michael Keaton's is my favorite just for like the the realistic take on it without sacrificing like the comic ideas of the suit. Yeah. Um. It's not so like tactical, like military inspired as the Green Goblin Raimi suit or anything, but like, you know, d- new take. Interesting. Uh, he he swoops in and kidnaps Norman in front of two children. Like, you got to imagine, like, you, you go to all this trouble, like, I'm going to kidnap my old boss and fly him around. He didn't even hesitate when he saw two children up there. He's like, oh, shit. Well, better commit. Got to get this guy. Oh, well, sorry, kids. Get that motherfucker. <laughs> Peter uh, makes some excuse about, like, going to track him on foot or something, which, like, come on, what the hell? No, you're not. He ditches his shoes there at the Osborne residence. It sure does. Uh, He he jumps away, you know, suits up, pursues the vulture. Uh, 
very brief little fight sequence here. Good stuff. Uh, Peter does not end up winning the fight. Uh, he gets pretty thoroughly, you know, knocked around during it. But he does manage to rescue Norman, uh, even without technically winning the fight or whatever. Um, great scene. Good stuff. Uh, kicking off the action very well. Later, we get uh, Peter and Gwen going to the lab where we get our introduction to Eddie Brock here as well. Eddie Brock. Who, uh, in this telling, this this version of the character, is uh, a longtime friend of Peter's. They're, they're obviously taking a lot of influence from the Ultimate Comics, where uh, Eddie yes. and Eddie's... I think Eddie's in college uh, right now in the, in the cartoon. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the comics, where it's like Eddie and Peter's dads were scientists and they were friends, uh, mm-hmm. and they ended up working on... A, they end up making the symbiote together in the comics. I don't know how they're doing the symbiote here, but we'll right, see. We'll get there. But yeah, this this is a, a fun version of Eddie, kind of like a older brother style thing, you know, very, very protective and uh, considerate of Peter. Uh, far cry from Topher Grace. Far cry. Far cry. Um, but yeah, we, we get introduced to Eddie Brock and the rest of the Connors family. Um Peter finds out he will not be paid for the internship, which was a big uh, draw of him joining. Aunt May is having some uh, struggle with bill money, as usual. Classic Spider-Man plot thread there. Uh, but yeah, this is an unpaid internship, as most are. He uh, he gets the idea in his head to uh, sell pictures of Spider-Man to the Daily Bugle to publisher J. Jonah Jameson. Because they're having a little they're having a little contest. Uh, it's like, if you can get us good pictures of Spider-Man, we'll give you money. Right. Everything has been so fast and loose with Spider-Man's like introduction into this world that no one has managed to get like meaningful photography of of him doing his thing. So and they, you know, and they, they, I think the vulture talks about like when he starts fighting him, he think he thought that Spider-Man was a myth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something like that. Uh, however, Peter is kicked out nearly immediately from the Daily Bugle <laughs> premises. Really funny. Yeah, great. Lots of great comedy. This is a. It's not quite like a, a dead on J.K. Simmons impression or anything, but it definitely informed this uh, this version of the character. It's uh, a good J.J. Yeah, really not that hard to screw him up. They, they did good here. Uh, that night, Norman is once again accosted by the vulture. And when uh, Spider-Man does show up on the scene to stop this, the enforcers are also there. Uh, who fire upon Spider-Man and attempt to distract him while the Vulture chases Norman's limousine. Uh, while being pursued by the Enforcers, uh, he follows after the Vulture and does end up defeating him in this fight while also getting the assassins off of his back. Uh, I don't remember as much as this fight scene uh, for some reason off the top of my head, but Spider-Man ends up uh, jamming Vulture's wing into the helicopter that the Enforcers are flying around in. That's what it is, uh, yeah. And then, and then pulls out his controls and stuff. And I love that the entire conflict with the Vulture is just that Norman really doesn't want to apologize. Yeah, it's it, it's it's an honor thing. It's a principle thing. And I really oh, like that fuck moment. fuck yourself, Vulture. There's this great moment where even though the Vulture has fought Spider-Man twice at this point uh, and all that, when Peter yanks out the controls, they start falling and the Vulture says, you fool, you've doomed us both. So do you remember anything? Like, I've literally got web shooters. I got webs. I did glance uh, glide over as well. Uh, there's a great little moment where where Adrian's like, I became what you told me to become what I was. I'm a vulture. And Norman's like, I called you a buzzard. You fucking idiot. It, it's just great that's what, stuff. That's what I mean. I love Norman in this show. 
it, it you know it, it speaks a lot about adrian's motivations as well being very flimsy he was so pissed off he couldn't actually listen to what norman was saying i'm not saying he deserved to have his shit stolen but you know it's norman osborne what are you gonna do i mean it's norman osborne i feel i feel like you're pretty justified in attacking norman osborne once this is all wrapped up and said and done uh peter returns home where he gets uh, a talking to from Aunt May. Peter is staying out way too late and always making excuses and such. So he is handed a strict curfew. Uh, cannot be out. Cannot be out past 10 p.m. at the, from this point on. And if he is, he has to call. Uh, it's really, really funny. As I mentioned, I w- I've been watching this with my partner. And the other day they were on their way home from work and told me they'd be home at 10. And about 10.03, I get a phone call where they're like, hey, Aunt May, <laughs> I'm not going to be home at 10. And I was like, oh, well, thanks for calling. This is going to come up a lot more in the second episode. But the curfew thing is actually a really good beat because it adds mm-hmm. it adds another like layer of tension to fight sequences. Like when Peter's fighting a bad guy and then suddenly he gets a reminder on his phone that he has to go call Aunt May to like be like, hey, I'm going to be late uh, fighting this guy. There's a great moment in the uh, in the Electro fight that's like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's, you know, with high school, Peter, there's always like, you know, the 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 idea of, oh, God, what if I'm in class when some stuff happens? That's, you know, just like a, a further continuation of that. Uh, Again, reminds me, it reminds me of Homecoming when uh, May yells at Peter, he's like, I know you've been sneaking out. What the fuck have you been doing? Good, good anxiety. Good, good old Spider-Man anxiety. Good, good. Uh, but this is, you know, Aunt May we're talking about. She does give him a slice of pie after this, you know, verbal lashing, very light verbal lashing. And uh, that's where we we end up with our first episode, just with a little bit of Peter narration at the end, talking about how nobody's summer could have topped his. Fantastic pilot episode. Great stuff. So from there, that's the end of our first episode. Uh, We go into our next of uh, these six that we're going to talk about today. Interactions being the second episode. Uh, This one opens up at the uh, laboratory of Dr. Connors, where he is demonstrating to his new interns, Peter and Gwen, a potential source of clean energy, which is a tank of genetically modified eels. Not Oscorp eels, like in Amazing 2, but uh, (laughs) Connors eels. I immediately I'm like, yep, they they that's where they got this idea for Amazing Spider-Man 2. It's yeah, it's it's not the 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 cleanest, most original uh, idea for Electro and both of those things, I guess, because he was what, like a lineman, like an electric, like a lineman in the comics that just had a power accident. He had he had an accident where he was struck by lightning while fixing power lines. In the I think he comics. has like the most normal backstory out of any Spider-Man villain, like the least supernatural, the least like scientific. I just got hit by lightning, man. It's it's literally just like, what's the most basic way a guy could get electricity powers? It's like, oh, yeah, OK. So, yeah, I guess the amazing did kind of ape off of this a little bit, but it's I don't know. It's fun. It works better. It in a better than the than amazing movie. Yeah, for sure. Um. After Peter and Gwen have left, there's a uh, a man working on it, an electrician of sorts named Max Dillon, uh, who is attempting to upgrade the electrical filters uh, for this part of the lab. But there's, uh, of course, an electrical incident of sorts, and he's hospitalized. Really great uh, effects here. This is where I really started to, like, I don't know, appreciate the art style of the show more. Um, yeah. there's a couple more sequences that we'll talk about as we talk over these episodes, but this is one of the ones that like really impressed me as well, where I, where I sat up and I was like, okay, yeah, all right. Just okay. 
how this like electrocution and everything goes down. It's just it's very, very visually interesting. Uh, not my favorite of everything that happens here, but I will talk about that later. Uh, Max Dillon is hospitalized and he's found to be emitting these uh, electrical fields that he can't control or contain. Uh, his power, so to speak, can't be contained. So he's placed in a quarantine. Uh, eventually... Wait, wait, you're you're, wait, wait, wait. wait. <laughs> you're telling me Electro's power can't be contained? Something like that. Something like that. Uh, <laughs> Max is further angered after a doctor explains to him that although he's stable, he has to wear a super cool, awesome suit that contains his emitted bioelectricity. Uh, he freaks out at this, not very happy, and escapes the hospital uh, screaming <laughs> and, and shooting lightning everywhere, as Electro is wont to do. Meanwhile, Peter, outside of the Connors lab, is assigned to tutor uh, the popular Liz Allen in her uh, introduction to this show. She's part of the, the Flash crowd, uh, as usual. Uh, he's attempting to, uh, you know, help her get better with her scientific studies, uh, tutoring her at a cafe. When uh, Max Dillon and some... In, in a great disguise, honestly, when you consider that, like, the MCU disguise is just, like, what, a, a ball cap and a jacket, usually, right? He's he's yeah. He's got the hat on, but he's got, like, a, a upturned collar and gloves and an outfit, pants. He's, he's doing his best to not look like a robot, which he kind of looks like. Uh, but he, he enters this uh, cafe and causes a scene when he, you know, drops his coffee and short circuits the power. <laughs> He tries to drink his coffee, and his he has got, he's got this like big green containment suit on that controls him, and then just ee, a little mouth opens up, yeah, so he can drink this his little coffee. like little whir noise, just a it opens so up. So funny. Drops his coffee, freaks out, you know, some kind of dysfunction there. Uh, he leaves absolutely furious. Peter believes this, you know, electrical anomaly man who is screaming to be dangerous. You know, good call. And pursues him as Spider-Man. Uh, he manages to, over the course of you know the next sequences that happen and everything, he manages to photograph him. Uh, completely pisses off Max, who I think he gets uh, unmasked here as well, right? Like the yeah, he doesn't. Off. He doesn't want to fight, uh, but Spider-Man ends up sort of escalating the situation because he thinks he's just some random thug. Yeah, um, Max is in a rage. He pretty much always is from this point out. Yep. Uh, Peter is distracted uh, by a phone call from Aunt May and Max escapes. Great little, you know, introductory hero villain scene there. <clears throat> the following day, Peter discovers that his photographs, not a single one developed properly. I think the window of the, the business behind them caught all the glare from the electricity and all the shots are just, just like washed out and white. Um, He's still I, I, able to identify the man that he fought as Max from the photo. So he's got a clear picture and idea of who and what he's dealing with here. He decides to meet with Dr. Connors and Eddie and Gwen to seek a way to uh, fully contain Max, who is attacking, you know, he, he's marauding around the city with his, you know, rage and electricity and not doing really anything productive. Yeah, he, just uh, wants, he just wants to be left alone. You know, after around. after seeking help from the lab and not getting it, you know, he just he, yeah, he wants to be he, he wants to be left alone and he wants to be cured. That's those are two very admirable things to want to be. Um, 
yeah, he he decides to seek help from the lab, you know, uh, despite the constant attacks that he's putting out and attacks he's receiving from Spider-Man cops, etc. Uh, he becomes aggressive when he shows up and ends up threatening Dr. Connor's wife, Martha, over all of this. Why did you say that name? Jesus Christ, that's the last the name. Martha! God, I haven't even seen that movie, and I don't I think watch, I I watched to. all of those movies this year, and they are all bad. Are you okay? <laughs> Why no. would you do that? <laughs> I, did, I, did it for, I did it for a podcast. Oh, hey, there you go. Uh, Eddie... Eddie steps up and he uh, distracts uh, Electro long enough for Peter to lead the lady folk out to safety. Uh, Peter dips and returns a Spider-Man and kind of paints himself as a, I don't want to say coward, but uh, it's definitely like an, an infraction on Peter's character here that everyone picks up yep. on. Like, oh, shit. Well, things got hairy and Peter disappeared. Little, right. Great. Pussy. Yeah, just you know, classic. Oh God, I'm saving the day, but everyone thinks I'm a I'm a I'm a div Wimp. kind of thing. Who knows? Uh, Max declares himself Electro at this point, which is nice. He himself entire... Electro because Spider Man called him Electro. Yeah, yeah. Spider Man refers to him that at one point, which which had me like in my head is like, is this entire show going to be one person saying you're this, and then that person going, I am this. Uh, thankfully that's not the case but uh, at this point we're two for two with those makes you wonder who called peter a spider-man to begin with because that's how it always works but uh he he does battle again with spider-man uh where it the the fight begins inside but eventually ends up outside in the rain uh where spider-man spots a radio tower beside a pool uh there's a great little climbing sequence where i think Electro is coming up at like really slowly for some reason, as opposed to Peter. He's having, he's having troubles. It's wet. Yeah, that's what it is. Uh, the fight coalesces with Peter uh, knocking him into the, the nearby pool, causing him to short circuit, I suppose, into unconsciousness. Great little wrap up there. No, no witsy bitsy spider. No, <laughs> you know, none of that. It's quick, easy done. Uh, the next day at school, Peter is talking to Liz in the hall where uh, she's she's complimenting his tutoring and all that. I should say I, I glided over this as well when I didn't mean to. When when Electro, you know, showed up and everything, Peter kind of left in a huff from from Liz's tutoring. She was deriding science and then being very condescending. And deriding all that. science. And Liz eventually ends up showing up at uh, the lab to get more tutoring when Electro right. shows up again and demands to be cured and then has to Peter has to run away to go fight him. But there's this great little moment early <clears throat> in that where Peter, you know, he's had enough of this and he he has to leave to confront Electro anyway. But he rolls that into a, OK, well, talk to me when you actually want to learn kind of thing. A very un-Peter kind of like, fuck you, whatever. My time is worth more than this. Not a very Peter Parker moment, but great. Good I mean, it is. Way. Um, Liz is complimenting his tutoring when they speak together in the hallway and being very, you know, complimentary. Uh, when the popular kids approach, Flash and everything in tow, and uh, make her change her attitude pretty quickly. Uh, she gets real rude all of a sudden and walks away. Very, you know, oh well, what are you going to do, Peter, moment. Holds the peer pressure. Very easily. Uh, from there, we get another look back at the lab, with Dr. Connors picking up a vial of green juice, uh, lizard DNA that Electro had electrified, so to speak. And uh, 
Connors has been giving himself uh, gene treatment for his arm, and his wife is very upset about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that final one had gotten zapped, so it's a little it's a little bit uh, spicy, if you know what I mean. With, with, with science and electricity. With, a, with a super electricity. Don't, don't question it. Which uh, caps off this episode. Uh, another, another good one in the books. Uh, we move from there to the third episode, Natural Selection. Uh, mostly, mostly lizard focused here, which is phenomenal. Great stuff. Uh, yup. One of my, again, like I've said already, one of my favorite, favorite interpretations of uh, Kirk Connors here. Uh, we start the episode with Spider-Man on patrol, just swinging around, uh, you know, getting the lay of the land as he wants to do. Stopping people who rob a bakery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thieves in a bakery. Um, which who who robs a bakery? Like I, I don't know. Uh, Javert. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. Uh, it, it, it all all the scene does is remind me of uh, my favorite scene in Rainy One, uh, where he he stops those people robbing the bodega. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's it's good stuff. Small stakes as usual. You yep. you can hope for, you got to hope for that anyway. Uh, he's simultaneously trying to take pictures of himself to uh, deliver to the bugle. Uh, he's home before curfew for once, which is always good. Uh, however, upon reviewing the photos of the uh, most recent Spider Manning, uh, he discovers they are also unfortunately unusable. He's got a just just an absolute crap 2008 point and shoot digital piece of crap. He's got probably a not really a shitty camera. Probably not a Sony. Uh, he might upgrade to a Sony eventually. Oh, it's, it's not a Sony. If it was a Sony, <laughs> it would it'd be the best camera ever. Exactly, yeah. Uh, meanwhile, on top of this, uh, Dr. Kirk Connors is injecting himself with his experimental electric lizard goo. And in the he, just do- he just doesn't care that it's got gotten fried by electricity. He's like, ah, why not? He's like, maybe it'll work better. I don't know. It's It's charged. Uh, this is all, again, in service of regrowing his missing arm. Uh, he goes to bed after this. He awakens in the night to uh, not discover that his arm is regrown. Uh, it is in the process of growing. This is a great little visual moment where, like I mentioned with the like Electro becoming Electro, this is another great little like a f- visually impressive scene. His arm kind of like... To, I don't know. To the easiest thing to compare it to is like when the symbiote like forms. I guess. Yeah. I I also wrote this down. It's like it turns out like flesh tendrils and then yeah. reforms into his arm. It's it's kind of like fucked up for a kids show. I very audibly went, "Oh fuck!" When it happened, yeah, I was like, "Ooh, like, this this is a children's show." But it's like it's not afraid to pull punches with uh like body horror. I guess um that's that's really it's very awkward. Oh, well, it, it's 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 gross, but it's really cool. It, it, it's not. It's, it's it's freakier than the seaweed wrap we got in Amazing One. Yeah, it, it's not nearly the the weird pink fleshy thing that Reese Fons was growing. This is the lizard growing an arm, and it it grows and it's there. Uh, very cool sequence. Very cool. Um, he awakens his wife during this. That she, you know, he's just kind of rolling out of bed, going, "Oh, like he uh, my tummy hurts." Like he ate rotten shrimp or something. I don't know. But uh, uh. eventually, his arm does, you know, plop into place, and his wife is, you know, happy at first, and so is Billy that he's getting picked up and held. But uh, upon him confessing to her that he experimented on himself with experimental lizard goo without her knowledge, she is like understandably furious. But she does uh, soften up a little bit 
once you know we get that whole nice scene of him holding billy and everything it's just you know great little moment at the expense of you know unethical science but whatever uh at school uh peter is being attacked with water balloons by flash thompson and uh i think this is the episode that introduces kenny kong uh not not a like a classic character or anything. I think they used him a lot more in Ultimate than anything else. He might be from Ultimate. I don't know. I never read a lot of Ultimate, uh, so Kenny Kong was new to me. Yeah, just a, another meathead, but not as not as hard on Peter. Uh, he occasionally cuts him slack where where Flash doesn't. Has a gr- um, has a girlfriend played by Cree Summer. Yeah, yeah, uh, immediately recognizable in anything. By the way, Cree. <laughs> I was Summer. like, oh, it's Cree Summer. Um, Peter's dodging these water balloons until he realizes that. Uh, if he's to dodge every single one with the finesse that he is, he might be doing himself more harm than good by, you know, tipping people off as to who Spider-Man might be. So he, um, he, he does get a little soaked until Gwen steps in, uh, and gets everyone to laugh at flash instead kind of reverses it onto him. I don't remember specifically what she says. Do you have that in your notes? Uh, no, it's, it's something, but it's good. Uh, Flash ends up like squeezing a water balloon so hard it wets him. So you know, all's fair there. Uh, Gwen and Peter go to the the Connors lab to <clears throat> help Eddie clean up the battle damage from the uh, previous days and weeks with Electro. When uh, Martha and the Connors enter in, announcing that Kurt's arm has grown back, and uh, there's a brief celebration until uh they realize that kurt has uh scales growing up and down (laughs) on his arm he's he's growing scales and his wife's like oh fuck yeah they immediately like usher the child out of the room they're like go go play your go play your computer games we got to deal with this shit and uh they make the determination that the reptilian half I, i have that here in my notes the reptilian half of kurt's brain is taking over Good God, he's he's going reptile mode. My question with that is, like, are they just assuming we have an innate reptile half? Are they assuming the goo gave him a half reptile brain? It's just amazing. I I don't know. I don't know, but it's very funny. I just thought that phrasing was very funny. The reptilian half of his brain. Um, Peter goes to comfort the Connor's son, uh, talks to him a bit, but the kid's kind of precocious and kind of understands what's going on. But this all gets interrupted when Kurt fully transforms into our friend, the lizard, the The lizard, the hulking humanoid, the lizard, the uh, lizard in a big science coat and runs off as he does just disappears. Uh, And one one thing, one thing I love uh, is that this happened also in the last episode with Electro. Uh, Eddie just like anytime there's like a bad guy or a monster or something in in the lab, he just starts fighting it. He just immediately starts mm-hmm. scrapping. He like he like tries to tackle Electro and he tries to tackle uh the lizard. He just <laughs> he's, he's a fucking scrapper. He wants to fight. Yeah, it's admirable, I suppose. Uh, I don't think very rare for this podcast, but I think that this lizard isn't motivated by making an army of lizards. Uh, yeah, he's he's just he's just a big lizard guy. He's just a big lizard. He doesn't. He's a big. He, he's a big lizard monster. He. It's refreshing, in all honesty. <laughs> his, um, his motivation is that he's a monster and he attacks people. I would love it if Norman's in game was to make everybody the Green Goblin, but you know, oh can't God. can't he can't win them all. I'm gonna uh, goblinize you. <laughs> that's what the pumpkin bombs do now. Goblinize. Uh, when uh, Eddie is in pursuit of the lizard. 
Peter uh, manages to slip out. I think this is he gives like a Daily Bugle photography excuse here as opposed to like nothing. No, um, I, th- I think he says that he has to run back because he's got a curfew. And then they're like, that, you yeah. asshole, why would you yeah. leave? Because they're he also does. at the same time, they're trying to like uh, cook up uh, a, a cure for yeah. Dr. Connors. You're exactly uh, right. And they're like, you asshole, you're going to leave now. And it's like he's he, him having a curfew is not his fault. Get off his back. Right. I'm sorry your husband's a lizard, ma'am, but I'm a minor. I have yeah, to be I'm sorry. I'm sorry your husband was an though. idiot, an idiot who wanted to turn himself into a lizard, man. But I got shit I got to do. Peter uh, suits up and gives chase. He attempts to communicate with the lizard a few times, but nothing really comes of it. And they end up uh, on a subway train fighting inside, outside, under it. Great sequence when Peter fights anybody on a train, really. Um, Yeah. But, you know, good stuff here. Uh, Finally, it it ends with uh, Peter falling off of the train and Connors escaping. You get a lot of that in the show, like a preliminary fight where somebody escapes and it's racked up again later. But there's a great there's a great line where the lizard is like crawling on a wall and uh, Peter goes, it's like, hey, crawling on a wall is my shtick. You start spinning a web and I'll sue. Yeah, on point with the quips. Great stuff. Uh, Peter returns to the lab and is given a gene cleanser from Martha that has to be administered to Kurt orally. Martha! Uh, it never gets old, does Why it? Why did you say that name? <laughs> it's just lizard hissing with subtitles below it. <laughs> um, Peter takes this uh, this vial and heads off to the Bronx Zoo, where Connors was reportedly last saw, uh, saw spotted, the Bronx. seen. Uh, you know, lots of little New York set pieces all around. Go into the Bronx. Spider-Man enters the lizard room where Connors has taken refuge. Uh, maybe he already has his army here. Who knows? Um, however, in this particular scuffle, uh, Connors knocks Peter out uh, until Eddie arrives, uh, also looking for Curtis Connors. Great little moment where uh, Peter accidentally calls Eddie bro and like, you know, tries to like cover up and be like, ah, dude, guy, friend, you know, not trying to fully give himself up. Um, he's regained consciousness at this point, and uh, they they derive they devise a plan to trick uh the lizard into the polar bear pond, where you know kind of the same mechanics as the the liquid nitrogen in Spider Man Blue. Just get him somewhere cold where it'll you know incapacitate him. Down. Uh, they nearly succeed. Uh, but Connors is alerted by Spider Man's cell phone ringing. It's 2008 now. Spider-Man has a cell phone, so that's a plot device. Uh, Billy then arrives and attempts to talk some sense into his father, but it, it again, goes nowhere. There's no reasoning with this lizard. And uh, Spider-Man leaps in to uh, essentially wrangle uh, him into the pond to not harm Billy or anybody else at that point, uh, where he is then able to tip the bottle of the gene cleanser into Connor's mouth. Uh, who, after some time, as a result, returns to normal with his arm back the way it was. No more no more scales, no more lizard half-reptilian brain. We're just back to Curtis. Oh, man, now I gotta use my super cool robot arm. Yeah, now I have to get a new lab coat, too. This is bullshit. It's monogrammed and everything. Uh, <laughs> get him one that says, The Lizard. <laughs> this, this like really this really like a nice uh calligraphy cc like oh mm, yes 
the next day, uh, Peter finally gets his usable photos published of uh, Spider-Man versus the Lizard and does get a little chunk of change from it. However, when Gwen, Eddie, and Dr. Connors find out that this is Peter's, like, side gig and why he wasn't, you know, around well, out. When Gwen, Eddie, and Martha find out because Dr. Yeah. Connors is like, man, I fucked <laughs> up. I don't care. He, he slunk off to his office. He kind of is like, I guess I get it. Whatever. I'm not mad and leaves. Uh, but the rest of them are, are understandably, I suppose, outraged from their point of view. You know, they, they, they think Peter simply ran off to take pictures. Uh, he's lost a lot of trust with, with his, with his crew here. Uh, and although Martha understands that it was a difficult choice and the stress of the situation, she, she fires Peter. He's no longer welcome at this internship. (laughs) They know, they know he's poor. And the lizard is, and Dr. Connors is like, you know, I told, he's like, you know, I don't care. <laughs> so if he's cool with it, I don't know why they're so upset. Uh, so he does the, the normal, rational, normal thing and on his way out steals uh, from the place that just fired him and uh, secretly webs himself a, an extra vial of that gene cleanser. Uh, he's, you know, frustrated about his reputation He's blaming the events that gave him his powers. He's very much just ready to walk away from being Spider-Man. He's he's, he's, about to, he's about to drink the sauce that will presumably remove his powers. And then he sees a, a photo of him and Uncle Ben. And he's like, why the fuck would I do that? He sees his signed 8x10 of Ed Asner. And he, <laughs> he, he webs it to himself and, and just has another great little soliloquy about... Uh, you know, he he realized he saved Dr. Connors either way, and yeah, he it's... wouldn't he he wouldn't have been able to do that without being Spider-Man. So he he recognizes that the world needs Spider-Man right now and saves the vial for the future. Spider-Man's no magic wand, but thanks to the webhead, Kurt's cured and Billy gets his father back. So what if nobody threw a parade? Spidey stays because Spidey's needed. For now, anyway. It, this is a... I, I obviously joked about it earlier, but this is a really, really good, uh, like, classic, you know, win some, lose some Spider-Man ending. It's really well done. He essentially, like, weighs the pros and cons and, you know, settles on, okay, I need to be Spider-Man. People need me to be Spider-Man more than I need to not be Spider-Man. So that's where it is. Putting us uh, halfway done with what we're talking about today with wrapping yes, up episode sir. Three. We move on to our fourth episode, Market Forces. Uh, starting off strong with Montana and the rest of the Enforcers. They are uh, stealing a powered suit from an armored Tricorp truck uh, after gassing the guards uh, protecting the truck. Montana hands this uh, ill-gotten gain off to Hammerhead, who insists that Montana don the suit to complete the big man, the, the illustrious big man's contract to kill Spider-Man. And that suit is that suit is the shocker suit. So they've essentially rolled Montana and the shocker together into one character. No problem with that personally. Don't yeah, I really that. like that. Uh, it, it makes we've already got like an introduction of a character like every week to be our villain, essentially, almost uh, with maybe save like Dr. Connors, I guess, because he was already introduced or whatever. But it's nice to not have to go, okay, here's all these characters. And also, I guess, here's the shocker right after Electro. It, it, it makes sense to have it ruled into one, I guess. It's anybody can wear the mask, as they say. Uh, the next day, 
Peter is uh, getting across town as Spider-Man, unaware that he's being watched. He uh, he meets up with Harry at the Osborne place, uh, discussing the old dance, where he uh, he checks his email and realizes uh, that he's received mail from J. Jonah Jameson of the Bugle, informing him that he uh, Jonah wants to purchase more pictures of Spider-Man from him. So he uh, leaves and promises to help Harry with his calculus work later. Uh, you know, as always, never does. <laughs> At the Bugle building, Jonah mistakenly kicks Peter out. Again. He, he just, he sees this kid and is like, oh my god, this kid again? Get him out of the building. Where's Peter Parker? Um, great little moment with Betty Brant outside. Um, quick little conversation. Uh, he's, what is he? He's looking for his coffee or something that's late. The kid that was supposed to bring it to him hasn't brought it to him yet. Yeah. Uh, Jonah pays Peter once the mistake is realized and Peter exits. While heading back to Harry, uh, Peter hears an alarm coming from a landfill and investigates. Uh, this, this ends up being a trap where he's uh, accosted by Montana with sonic blasts from the, you know, this high-powered suit he's now in possession of. Um, he's calling himself the Shocker. No, no one called him that before, I think. This is where we get our, our first named villain who is, you know, just talking about himself. I think the lizard doesn't even count. You're just a big lizard. He's a big lizard. And one thing I, I really enjoy about the villains that we've got so far and that's oh, going to pop up uh, in the next two episodes I like. I just really like how all like interconnected they all are. Yeah. How how they all sort of come in, and later on, Norman talks about how he's working on creating uh, people for the super mercenary field. Yeah. Uh, and I yeah, that's that's a really great way to have Norman be involved in the the villains because normally the Green Goblin is. I feel like at least in the comics and stuff, the Green Goblin is off doing his own thing, fucking with Spider-Man. Like he's not very singular motivation. He's not involved in the Sinister Six. He's not doing all this other stuff. But the fact that he's in there in the trenches working with other supervillains before he's even the Green Goblin, I think is really interesting and, and cool. It, it lends a degree of interconnectivity to these things that doesn't exist in a lot of other tellings of these kind of stories. And I like that a lot. Yes. Uh, Montana, Montana's moving in for the kill at the dump here. Uh, when uh, he's he's moving in to do so, and one of his other thugs, uh, Alex O'Hearn, uh, sort of retelling of another character, but we'll get to that. Uh, yeah, I didn't I didn't know who Alex O'Hearn was before we started this. Before you know that uh, episode six rolled around, mm -hmm. so I was like, what? "Huh?" Yeah, definitely interesting. Uh, we'll get there very shortly. Uh, yep. Spider Man is given time to recover here, uh, and. The shocker knocks him into some machinery and <clears throat> feeling satisfied with like the outcome of this, you know, again, another kind of like I killed Spider-Man, but not really shit. Uh, he leaves via their their helicopter. Spider-Man survives all of this, you know, either unbeknownst or not to the shocker, but finds out that the paycheck that he was keeping in his underwear has been torn to shreds, electrified. It's 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 decimated. No money today. Uh, we move from here to the next day after school where Harry is completely outraged in his nebbish little voice uh, whining on Peter about how he missed out on the studying. Uh, he's, you know, not helping him when he needs to be making excuses all the time. You know, classic Peter having to be Spider-Man stuff. Uh, after school, Peter decides to uh, head to the Bugle to see if he can't get his check replaced. 
where uh, we get introduced to Robbie here, right? This is the first Robbie. appearance of Robbie. Uh, yep. Voiced by Phil Lamar. Phil uh, Lamar, great to uh, see him. Phil Lamar's in everything animated, so, you know, why not? The, best, ex- the best example I gave us, he's uh, Samurai Jack. Yeah, of course. Samurai Jack, uh, Hermes on Futurama, a lot of other stuff. He's been in it a lot. Another, you know, he's if there's a who's who of voice actors, Phil Lamar's there. But yeah, uh, Robbie, the assistant editor, uh, while Peter's getting his check replaced, makes the suggestion that Peter uh, upgrade his camera, that that's going to further his career at the Bugle. It'll lend him more usable shots. Just, uh, you know, up, it's time for an upgrade. Um, after Jonah picks a photo of Spider-Man covered in garbage as Peter's submission, uh, Peter goes off after O'Hearn and his partner Flint Marco as Spider-Man. Flint Marco, who we saw like way back in the... He was like, yeah, him and Alex were the first two. Uh, oh, my God. I just realized Alex is one of the guys with the same name. Yeah. Get him He's on the involved. podcast. Get him on the podcast. Uh, <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, he, it's uh, Alexi. Him and Marco are the first two bad guys that uh, Peter takes down at the very beginning of the first episode. Yeah, we get a lot of uh, Peter every time he sees him just chiding them. Uh, you again, Marco, Idiots. blah, blah, blah. Always with the same fucking shirt. Uh, but Peter goes after these two again and defeats them this time and tells them to inform the shocker that he wants a rematch. Uh, very Spider-Man moment there. Um, again, a rare, rare occurrence. Peter makes it home in time for his curfew. But uh, when he comes in, he he catches Aunt May kind of off guard, struggling with the bills at the table. Um, great little moment here where he like physically weighs the money in one hand versus the shitty camera in the other. He he doesn't want anything more than to hand Aunt May the whole wad, but he knows he has to buy a camera to keep making money. It's like it's such a like on the nose visual uh metaphor like uh in Spider-Man 2 when he looks at the suit versus the like the the dress shirt versus the mm-hmm. Spider-Man suit. It's like such an on the nose thing that from like anybody else it would be really like annoying and stupid. Uh but mm-hmm. here it works really well. Yeah, it you know, it's it, it's enough to make a kid realize, oh, that's what is happening, you know, without yeah. going fully overboard with it. Um, he after this little, you know, sweet money in May moment, he goes back to school the next it is day. Really good. Realizing that Harry uh, fell by the wayside in his brain again. Again, <laughs> Harry is just even matter this time. Uh, he, he didn't get ditched this time. He got completely forgotten which is worse. Uh, That night, Hammerhead uh, tells Shocker that the big man is displeased with his failure for not fully killing Spider-Man. So that has to happen, and soon. Peter is, meanwhile, unsuccessfully trying to ask Betty Brant uh, out. Is this when he asks her to the dance, or is he just being flirty? Yeah, I think maybe he asks her out, or maybe that's I don't remember. But he eventually he eventually ends up asking her out to the the formal, and she's kind of wishy washy on it because she's like four years older than he is. Yeah, he's like fifteen, right? Yeah, he's like fifteen or sixteen, and so she would be like early twenties. Not even I was that bold at that age, Peter. Jesus Christ! You know, dudes rock. Uh, but that was like a real thing that happened uh, in the the legit code. Right. Right. Something about her brother and everything, right? Yeah, she had her brother is a criminal in the the Lee Ditko run. He ends up being killed uh, in Philadelphia when Spider Man goes to fight Doctor Octopus, and that's why they can't be together because Betty is like Peter's first relationship in the comics. 
mm-hmm. uh, because she had to drop out of high school so that she could take care of her family and get money by being uh, J. John Jameson's secretary. Uh, so they they were around the same age in the in the comics, and that their their age differences have, have shifted around and stuff throughout the years. But that's how it is in the original Lee Ditko run, and that's how they do it here. I do like that this Peter is a Peter that's not afraid to shoot a shot, even if he knows that no. he's going to get rejected. I'm 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 down with this. Four episodes in, Peter has shot his shot twice and been shot down twice. But like, that's not quite something you got out of uh, Toby Maguire or even Garfield. The closest I think we get to that with him is is like his little broken promises are the best kind of promises at the end. He's never <laughs> like, God, that movie sucks. <laughs> It's full of junk. Briefcase full of junk. We we get that uh, little you know shot shot, and a trimmer rattles the entire city. Uh, Peter, as Spider Man, discovers that it is the Shocker, uh, leaving him a trail that leads to this condemned theater. A uh, great yeah. great fight sequence here. Uh, love a yeah. good abandoned building fight with Spider Man. Really and really good like location for a for a a, a fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, it culminates with uh, Peter as Spider-Man unsuccessfully trying to get information out of the Shocker and find out who hired him uh, before ultimately bringing down the building on the Shocker's little electric shield thing and uh, defeating him. Uh, you know, quick, easy done. A lot of quick fights in this, uh, which never really outstay their welcome. That's not really the whole point of the but show. They're, but they're well done fights. They're well choreographed. And stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. It retains, uh, you know, this is, I guess, trivia. I'm not sure how we're going to do this over, you know, these four episodes. But like one thing I read a lot with researching this series was that they specifically liked the they use the word fluidity a lot when they talk about uh, Raimi's Spider-Man. And this specifically this show, they were trying to capture the fluidity that Raimi's stuff brought to the table. And I think they do a great job of that. That's a really good way of phrasing and there's a. Uh... Fucking, I think it's in episode two. There's a scene where Peter's trying to get to school and he's swinging around to Spider-Man. And he lands on top of the train just like uh, Toby does in Spider-Man mm-hmm. 2. Uh, so, yeah, I can see where they took a lot like of... Like the same pose, yeah. The yeah. same pose. Like, it, it's almost, it feels almost like rotoscoped. They do that with the uh, Sandman in the next episode, or one of the next episodes yeah. as well. Like, there's a shot That's when he's, like, like, forming for the first time. That's, like, straight up the same profile shot. It's the, next, ep- the, it's the next episode, but yeah, it's there's, good. There's a lot of love for the Raimi stuff here and, and in this show. You can tell that it was made in the aftermath of the Raimi movies being the only Spider-Man media that a lot of people yeah, are familiar with. That post-Raimi, pre-Garfield era. Yeah. Beautiful time. Uh, meanwhile, uh, after all of this has happened, Peter's defeated the Shocker. Uh, Harry returns home where his father Norman, you know, essentially tells him, you suck. I hate you. You need to take yeah. responsibility. And you don't need Peter Parker to to show you how to be smart. You need to just study by yourself. Yeah, Norman. <laughs> Harry comes in because he like failed his calculus test that Harry was good, that Peter was going to help him study for. And Norman says, uh, "He says you're parked in a no whining zone." Troubled? Gee, you think I failed my calc test because Pete abandoned me? Flash's crowd won't cut me a break. Enough. You're parked in a no whining zone. Take some responsibility. Peter's not the reason you failed. You want to pass a test? Study. You want to be popular? Be popular. Take control of your destiny, boy. Harry, life's pretty simple. You cowboy up and do what you have to do. He's fucking great in the show, man. It's great. So good. Uh, But yeah, we get that moment. Uh, Norman leaves from there to uh, meet with Hammerhead, revealing that he helped them steal the suit from Tricorp. 
as uh, they are his company's competitor. He is he's actively not only is he fucking o- over like scientists and engineers for their work to call his own. He's actively hiring thugs to take down other companies and steal their shit because he's Norman fucking Osborn. Uh, he talks over the speakerphone with our mysterious big man who at this point, the the big show, man. we hadn't seen him yet. I wasn't aware of the the rights that prevented it from being so I was prepared for it to be Wilson Fisk. I, I thought it was gonna be uh, Kingpin too. The first time I heard it, I thought they were gonna but, do like uh like the Daredevil two thousand four movie where they have yeah uh, the Michael Clark Duncan Kingpin. I thought they were just gonna do something like that. From what I was able to glean, um, at the time, legally speaking, Kingpin was considered a Daredevil villain, even though yeah. he originated in Spider Man. Uh, yep. but so, he's he's obviously a lot more associated with. Oh with yeah. For sure. So legally, they could not use him here. So we'll we'll get to who the big man is real soon. But it is not the kingpin. Um, but yeah, we we um we we get that speakerphone talk with the big man who uh, is Norman is aiding and creating supervillains, mercenaries, etc. In return for funding, because that's what it always boils down to with Norman is funding. Uh, back at his house, Peter sends his photos to the bugle and attempts to give Aunt May his wad of cash, but she insists that he reserve at least 10 or rather just 10% of it every check to uh, save up for a new camera. So he does simultaneously get to do both both goals that he's shooting for here. He gets to upgrade his camera after some time to take better pictures, and he's helping Aunt May out with paying the bills, which is where we close out uh, this episode of the show. Moving on to the fifth episode, Competition, which this one, lots and lots of fun. I like this one a lot. Yeah. Uh, I want to say probably out of all of them, I probably like the one we just talked about the most. <clears throat> I feel like it, um, not villain-wise or anything, Shockers, you know, the Shocker. I just like how everything went about in that episode. But yeah. from there, <clears throat> we start off with Peter as Spider-Man. Uh, once again, fighting and defeating Flint Marco and Alex O'Hearn, uh, landing them, landing them in prison this time. Uh, well, they're, well, well they're in jail cause they get out on bail, right? Jail. Yeah. I've never been, I forget the difference all the time. Uh, while discussing their outrage towards Spider-Man, uh, loudly their bill, their bail is paid and they're ushered into a limousine outside, which must just be like super normal in New York and this New York with with all the Spider-Man villains out and about. They get bailed out. They get limoed out and, you know, back home uh, inside the limo. Hammerhead is uh, telling them he has big plans for them, taking them to a secret base for for further recruitment, etc. Uh, from there, we, we go back to Peter the next day practicing web slinging in his bedroom, which is always a fun little, you know, thing. Uh, Aunt May comes in and suggests that he take Mary Jane Watson. They, uh, the Anna, Anna Watson's Watson, niece. She's a nice girl. She's got such a nice personality. Ugh, he does that Ugh. every time. <laughs> uh, it's suggested that Peter take Mary Jane to the upcoming fall formal. Peter visibly and audibly cringes at the idea and heads to school. Fuck that uh, shit. <laughs> There, it is announced that uh, football trials and football practice, that football! Kind of auditioning for the team will be held that day. And for some reason, Harry Osborne wants to try out. He wants uh, to be a cool guy. He's, he's following like his dad's advice. He, his dad said he wants to be popular, be popular. 
just like Harry and Peter trying out for basketball, apparently, and Raimi, you know? Uh, Peter passes on joining him as he feels that it would be uh, revealing his abilities. Uh, they they name-drop that specifically, <clears throat> like, specifically in... I, I want to say in Civil War when Tony... yeah in Civil War he's like he says he, that he would he would love to try out for football but he couldn't then so he shouldn't now. I like how we both have like that exact speech committed to memory because it's probably the part of that movie we pay attention to the hardest. God, it's it's so it's so good. <laughs> I'm thinking about that. I think about that scene all the goddamn time. It's so good. It's really good. But but I love the 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 little the little daydream that Peter has of playing football in a Spider-Man costume, swinging around like, Peter, that's not how you play football. That's cheating. <laughs> no, yeah, you can't do that. Why not? Regulation web shooters. That's not how you NFL. play football. You're never going to win the Super Bowl this You get way. Pat Mahomes some fucking web shooters. Oh, my God. There's not any worries. If Patrick Mahomes had web shooters, shit would be over. Tom Brady would eat shit. <laughs> Fuck you, Tom Brady. Well, Fuck Tom you, Tom Brady. Brady. I'm going to cover you with webs. Tom Brady gets the symbiote. Mahomes gets the web shooters. Let's make it fucking happen. Oh, my God. <laughs> Uh, he, um, he hears, Peter hears Flash Thompson, uh, planning on specifically going after Harry during tryouts to pick on him, make an example of him, you know, the usual. So Peter changes his mind and decides to try out anyway, if only to, uh, act as a, an aide to Harry. Uh, they both are, uh, actually impressive at tryout to everybody's surprise. Uh, Peter, you know. Not everybody, no one knows he's Spider-Man, so it's a surprise to everybody. It's not a surprise to us. But the bigger surprise is Harry, uh, you know, little shrimp of a guy, but he's he's doing decent out there. Uh, Harry impresses the coach and a few of the other players. Peter does the same. Uh, and while this is happening, this this fun football scene, we cut to the sandification LT process, I guess. They're in the LTL garage. And then as soon as I saw that, I'm like, oh, I know who this is. Mm -hmm. I know who the big uh, man is, but we're we're in we're in their secret base they have in their garage. The the totally normal place to have it. Uh, yep. Norman arrives here to supervise the experiment they're going to be performing on Flint Marco. He's restrained. Otto Octavius has his his funny little arms on. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh I I think he makes some mention at some point from what I read about an inhibitor chip. Uh, I don't know I don't if think he talks or not. I don't think he talks about the inhibitor chip. He just says that he uses the arms for like delicate work sure, and also yeah. for safety. Apparently that's a thing he brings up at some point. So, you know, more we'll see. little more little Raimi sprinklings over everything. Uh, Marco is being given uh, in this experiment. He's going to be given subdermal silicone uh, armor, essentially transplanted uh, under his skin, making him uh, hardened, uh, you know, that kind of thing. It, it's an interesting way of phrasing what they're attempting to do, sandmanning him on purpose. Um, gets sandmanded. Yeah, gets sandmanded. Uh, Dr. Octavius says that this experiment has too many flaws and is probably not a good idea, but Osborne commands him to pull the trigger on it anyway. Norman doesn't give a shit. He's like, fuck this. I got to make these super mercenaries. I don't care. It's Flint Marco. Who cares? We'll get another one. Of shit. Week. Um, the experiment malfunctions. Fucking who would have guessed and he and like exp explodes yeah, essentially yeah and another just super what the fuck for a kid's show yeah uh it violently mutates him it, he explodes like akira yeah no just like, like yeah, in the that, movie akira he, he, he I, turns I, like a, a flesh ball and explodes 
I kind of drew that comparison earlier with um with Connor's arm like f- like fleshing out the way it does. Like I, that was very Akira. This is it's got to be some kind of little influence here or there because they they I'm go sure. that they go that hard with the body stuff in this show. Um, I love it. I think it's cool. Uh, his body evaporates out of this. He he just kind of sands out. He he just turns into a cloud of sand and there's sand all over the room. And Octavius, terrified, thinks he's just killed a man. But suddenly Marco uh, reshapes himself. We get that great little like profile shot again. It looks just like the Raimi thing a little bit. Uh, still made of sand. He starts viciously thrashing the walls, begging to be let out. Uh, you know, hammer hands immediately. Cool stuff. I figured uh, that out really quickly. Hammerhead and Osborne take him outside in the limousine where he's able to uh, reform himself fully and eventually like get color correction down as well. Yeah, see, um, we got his color back. Great stuff. I like that where they immediately just take him to the limo. It's like, oh, well, he might be angry and he might thrash around. Let's take him to the big, long, expensive hey, we gotta, bar. We got to get him to the limo. <laughs> uh, when they tell him that he's going to work for the big man, uh, he kind of decides, you know, fuck that, I guess, and leaves. Uh, Hammerhead is fine with that, as it means they will now have a distraction for Spider-Man. Uh, Sir. Obviously. Now codenamed the Sandman, uh, which, again, I don't know if someone gave him that or he gave it to himself, but no one went, he's some kind of Sandman, and it just stuck. Um, Marco robs a bank, you know, pretty much immediately, Flint Marco thing to do, and Spider-Man arrives. Uh, he's overpowered by Flint's newfound sand manditude. And in a great little thing, I always love to see Peter is out of web fluid. Yes, sir. Uh, You would think they use it more in the various media and tellings, but it's a very, very rare thing to encounter. Uh, I love it when they do that. Uh, it, It just, it gives more opportunity for Peter to showcase his ingenuity in fights. Yep. Uh, and and getting around, just always always glad to see it. It's stress it's inducing, but I'm always glad to see it. I love um, I love and it's it's part of the reason I was sort of disappointed in the biological webbing in the, the Raimi movies was because it it makes it really fun. Like in uh, the best example I can think of it from last season was in uh, Far From Home when he assembled like a fucking bomb to destroy a bunch of drones when he didn't have any web fluid. Yeah, uh, biological webbing is, you know, everybody has an opinion about it. I think it worked for the movie it was in, especially with a horror director, kind of that gross kind of idea. I'm very much looking forward to when and if we get some kind of on-screen Toby and Andrew and Tom, whether that's whether that's No Way Home, whether that's Doctor Strange, whether it's neither. And in the future, that joke writes that joke writes it. Oh, yeah. People have already written the joke for Marvel. Someone's going to be grossed out. Like it's going to be Tom and, and Andrew just like, oh, Christ, what is, is that a gland inside you? What? Oh, it's, my God. It's, it's literally going to be like uh, in Civil War when the Falcon when Falcon gets uh, mm-hmm. webbed up. And he's like, is this stuff coming out of you? I like the idea of them, like not only being grossed out, but maybe making fun of him for not being smart enough to build web shooters. You idiot. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. We will see. Give us till December, maybe. Uh, Spider-Man is defeated pretty fucking quickly in this fight, uh, and Sandman escapes through a sewer drain after accidentally mentioning the big man's name. Yeah, yeah, uh, he, t- he says the big man. He doesn't say his name. D- does he not say Lincoln here, or is that later? That's I think that's uh, fucking the, the Rhino episode next. Oh, I think you're right. Oh well, 
Uh, yeah, he uh, he gets away through the sewer drain, as you know, he's wont to do. The next day, there's a lot of the next day in this show, just because it revolves around a child who goes to school. So we get a whole lot of, oh, wow, this happened. Anyway, the next day, uh, Peter wants to go and find the Sandman after school. But uh, Liz Allen uh, wishes him good luck with the football tryouts and all that. So he he decides, OK, I, I really need to stick around for this football shit. I can I guess I can get the Sandman later. Uh, he goes to tryouts again, doing well again and being invited for the last day of tryouts with Harry. And Harry ends up fucking uh, scoring Cree Summer. As it... Yeah, as it were. He ends up, he ends up, I think in the next episode, they say that uh, she's going with him to the dance. But, you know, Harry out here securing the bag. Yeah, he's uh, he's understandably upset that Peter like is outdoing him on the field and all that. Understandably, I say to us, we know what Peter is. Harry's just being a little Harry, whatever. From there, they, oh, they do hang him. out at the, the soda shop where one of the goons it purposefully spills something on Harry who does leave with Cree summer. Uh, meanwhile, Peter is on the city bus, uh, takes a seat beside Gwen who he apologizes to for ignoring lately. And she accepts, uh, she also drops some hints that he should take her to the fall formal, but Peter very much does not get the clue and tells her instead that he's going to take Betty Brant. um, he makes a promise to her that uh, he's not going to ditch to take Spider-Man pictures, which means uh, immediately that's what he does. Uh, he departs from the bus uh, to confront a, a Sandman is ar- robbing an armored truck. So Peter leaves with the excuse of, oh, I need to go take pictures, which Gwen is completely fine with, despite him having just promised that he's not going to do that anymore. Uh, there is a little tiny seed sown there, I think, of like, a romantic attraction from Gwen to Peter. She says something about like him noticing how great she is, you know? Uh, but you know, Peter is going to be Peter. He uh, moves on to go fight the Sandman at this armored truck. And in the struggle, the truck loses control and lands at a construction site. Hey, Spider-Man fighting Sandman at a construction site. What more could you want? Hmm. Um, Spider-Man tries to web him up, but it's very ineffective as the Sandman can just slip through it. He then starts hurling girders at Spider-Man, you know, happens. Uh, Meanwhile, back at the uh, soda shop, uh, Harry, I think he's there again. Is that where this is? Uh, I don't know. That's what 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 my notes and synopsis have, but whatever. I don't care. Uh, I think that might be where I think this is the second time they're at the soda shop. This might be where the Cree summer thing happens. Either way. Uh, at this construction site scene, uh, Peter gets himself out of the pile of girders that are on top of him. I, what, when they're, when we're back at the construction site, there's a bunch of cops that are like surrounding the area, like waiting to uh-huh. see what happens. I love that. They're just like, yeah, fuck. We got to wait for Spider-Man to fix this shit. Yeah, we no, can't do anything about this. It's, it's a really great part. Yeah. Where they, they have a little conversation about it. Uh, they recognize this is beyond their pay grade. Uh, but I love a good Spider-Man, like, getting respected by the cops story uh, it all too often isn't the other way around. Uh, he gets uh, the Sandman gets lured up to the roof uh, by Peter and the whole fight coalesces with him getting uh, coated and encased in cement from a nearby cement maker. Get, get covered in cement. You know, there's only so many ways to take out the Sandman. I think in like the very first appearance, he just gets vacuumed up, which is really yep. funny. Yes, I was I was about to say it's better than getting sucked up into a vacuum cleaner. 
so yeah, it's it's creative enough and it works. Um, that night, Harry goes home to tell his father that he's tried out for the football team. Uh, but he's tried out for the football team. He, he's actually made the football team as like the lead. Him and some other guy made it, and Peter was like, "We'll call you back next year." That kind of thing. Yeah, which Peter. Is, Peter. Peter purposefully fucked up so that yeah. he wouldn't be on the team. That way, Harry gets to be on the team, and Peter gets to have the free time to be Spider Man. Gwen ends up coming over and giving him an ice cream cone, and they eat an ice cream cone on the on the side of the field. And then Harry comes home. He's like, "I I got an A on like I said like I said earlier. I got an A on my test. I fucking uh, I'm on the football team. I'm I'm winning." And he's Norman's in the middle of, I think, talking to Hammerhead about uh, Sandman fucking up. Yeah, Norman is completely <laughs> unimpressed by any of this football talk. I was like, I was like I'm Sandman. in the middle of a meeting, Harry. Go fuck yourself. That's great, son. You're popular. Woohoo. Call me back when you have sand powers. <laughs> I don't care. Harry kind of meanders off, darkly remarking that he's going to show them tomorrow. And, uh, you know, it, he doesn't shoot up the school or anything. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> but at uh, final tryouts, Harry does make the team. Peter, like you said, does do so purposefully terrible that he doesn't outshine Harry. And Gwen does give him ice cream and cheer him up at the side of the field, which is where we wrap up this fifth episode. Uh, good stuff. Uh, it, move, it moves right along this show. I, I never find myself going, OK, how much is left of this? Uh, great stuff. Where we uh, move into our final episode of this week. This is episode six, The Invisible Hand. Uh, Rhino-centric episode. We get, it starts off strong. Dr. Octavius uh, preparing to attach this exoskeleton, the suit thing, to uh, Alex O'Hearn's body. Modeled after that of a rhinoceros. The way Rhino's suit works, it's, it's different every time. Sometimes it's like an exoskeleton thing. But this time they take a bunch of like gray sludge and they're like, we're going to cover you in this and then hit you with electricity and it's going to fuse to your skin. Yeah, we're going to put you in an action figure mold and just cover. Yeah, you in it's like uh, like that old uh, Terminator action figure where you cover it in like rubber flesh. Yeah, exactly. They, li- like they literally just put him in that and then they turn him into the rhino. We're going to coat you in liquid rhino. <laughs> we we'd put a bunch of rhinos in that. Will it blend blender and, and crush them up and don't breathe this. We kept the ivory for a separate project. Yeah, we, uh, we just, we're going to sell that on the black market. The uh, Though Octavius is uh, wary again about going through with this experiment, Hammerhead urges him to uh, pull the trigger. O'Hearn's body is uh, surgically attached, adhered, whatever you want to say, uh, to the suit and given untold strength. We get, you know, he's the rhino. He's That's where we are. Uh, meanwhile, Peter is at the Daily Bugle attempting once again to ask Betty Brant to the school fall formal. And despite the four year age difference, she finally is worn down. Uh, yeah, she's, she says she says that she'll think about it. And then Peter like, is, yeah, she's like, whoa, I'm wearing her down. Let's go. Good God, Peter. That's that's a good way to look at it, I guess. Oh, well, let's go. <laughs> Uh, Peter is hurrying homeward, exhilarated, uh, until he realizes that he's probably going to need money for this date because that's how it works. Um, he's telling Harry about his plans uh, the next day at school when he receives a text message that uh, Aunt May is having lunch with Betty at the Bugle. Uh, he receives a noogie from Flash Thompson before running off. That's got to be like the worst fucking text you can possibly receive, right? I, I mean, it's it's concerning. Yeah, good old Aunt May. 
Uh, O'Hearn has dubbed himself the Rhino. I mean, what? I mean, I mean, really, what else would he be called? <laughs> little too. The rhinoceros is too on the nose, I guess. Just a little, little easier. Uh, Aunt May and Betty are having lunch fare at the Bugle office, uh, and uh, the Rhino bursts in, very much like Craven in Spider-Man Blue. Good, good burst sequence, and uh, demands that J. Jonah Jameson tell him where Peter is, as he know Peter is the one that photographed Spider-Man. Jameson yeah. spots Peter, you know, hiding after just having arrived and does a great little, you know, Raimi esque. Uh, I don't know where he is. You couldn't tell you, you know, showing cool his Jameson. true, showing his true inner, you know, cool guy. Yeah, he's like he only sends him through email. I don't know where, where he is under under all those ulcers. There's a heart somewhere. Another great moment. Uh, Peter sneaks off during this and suits up uh, before engaging in the rhinos. Uh, I don't know. You know, the rhinos pretty much always running around going Spider-Man, give me Spider-Man apparently. And uh, that's what he wants. So that's what he gets. Uh, he wants Peter this time, but you know, same thing to us. One thing uh, with this, uh, this Spider-Man Rhino fight that we're going to get into reminds me of, there's an issue uh, of the comic. I don't, I think it's like called no one can stop the juggernaut uh, where Peter is trying to fight obviously the juggernaut. Uh, but he knows that he can't beat him physically. So what he has to do is like, just kind of guide him away from a lot of the, the damage that he could cause and sort of try to wear him down. Right. And that, that reminded me a lot of this and this, this whole episode is just one really long fight and it's really, really good. Yeah, for sure. As opposed to some of the other episodes, which is, you know, plot heavier, less fighty. There's a lot of rhino fighting in this one. Um, he uh peter wonders what the big man has been up to with all these like super powered mercenaries like the rhino that he's been organizing uh they have a really large scale brawl through the city a lot larger scale than a lot of the fights we've had so far at like abandoned places here and there construction sites this one is really just keeps moving um <clears throat> spider-man soon realizes that the rhino needs to be constantly hydrated in order to fight because only his face is exposed and uh it's really, really hard to perspire when you can't perspire. So <clears throat> he leads him to a steam tunnel and breaks all the pipes, dehydrating the rhino into unconsciousness. And uh, as he passes out, this is where the rhino accidentally name drops that the big man is uh, Mr. Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> Which is a joke they already make in the, mo in the, in the, in the show. <laughs> That's good. That's really good. Uh, Peter goes back to the bugle and claims to have been hiding the whole time. Uh, through all of this chaos and everything, Betty drops the cherry on top for Peter's day and states that she's simply too old to date him and is sorry. Aunt May, Aunt May swayed her. Yeah, Aunt May came in and, you know, oh, you're cradle-robbing my boy, huh? Uh, <laughs> Peter, still downtrodden, remembers what the rhino said, uh, asks a reporter if he knows anything about him, Mr. Lincoln. And the reporter pretty much just tells him uh, there's Miss, there's L. Thompson Lincoln, the philanthropist rumored to be a dangerous crime lord. Uh, which, you know, LTL and all that. We got that. Uh, that night, Peter goes to Lincoln's office as Spider-Man to find out if the rumors are true. Lincoln prefers to be called Tombstone and <laughs> Tombstone wields incredible strength. Uh, he pins him down and suggests that Spider-Man work for him, fighting crime like usual, but turning his head when it uh, comes to, you know, his crimes. He's offered a case of money. 
Uh, Spider-Man refuses to do so in classic Peter fashion and uh, runs off. And also in classic Peter fashion. Really like this tombstone, by the way. They don't utilize yeah. him a lot. He was great in Spider-Verse. Uh, he's still uh, kind of underused in that, but... He's in the Spider-Man PS4 game, and that's very, very oh, good. Oh, yeah. Man, I I got rid... I, I had a PS4 very briefly, and I got rid of it like right before that game came out, and I still have Fool. not played it. I yeah. bought my PS4 with money I got from graduation when I graduated <laughs> high school. I spent, I spent, I, t- I took most of it, put it in the, in the bank, and then I took a little bit of it, and I bought a PS4. Just saw it like months before Spider Man came out. Yeah, I'll, I'll get it played one of these days. But I'm still shackled to Xbox right now, and I'm trying to build a PC on top of that. So, uh. um, but yeah, Spider Man leaves. We get no collaboration with Tombstone today. Uh, when Peter gets home, he's very depressed. It's been just a, a shit day. He's not man. <laughs> Jeez, uh, he, he's 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 down in it. He's down in it right now. Down in the dumps. Dude's down bad. Uh, Aunt May insists that he get dressed for the formal because she has arranged for him to go with Mary Jane Watson. Ugh. Aunt May's evil plan comes to fruition. <laughs> Peter thinks that she's going to turn out to be plain, given her, you know, descriptions so far. Uh, but when the door is opened, uh, we learn that Mary Jane is Mary Jane. It's Mary that, Jane. And that Peter has just hit the jackpot in classic Spider-Man fashion. And we get our end to this episode with uh, our, our typical fade out into those spider colors in the skyline uh, in a heart this time which is where we leave off with the spectacular Spider-Man for this week. Oh, yeah. Do you mean you're Mary Jane Watson? <laughs> Face it, Tiger. You just hit the jackpot. So, Alex... Do you have any fun facts about this television program? A lot of the specific trivia that I'm able to find for this show um, is more so kind of just general and broad. A lot of it, I'm going to kind of just like cherry pick a lot of it because some of it has to do with characters we haven't been introduced yet, blah, blah, blah. Um, Just, you know, little bits and pieces here and there. Specifically speaking, um, I do have it pulled up right here. In this last episode, we talked about the invisible hand. Uh, as Spider-Man is leaving Tombstone's office, he passes another building called Ditco. I don't know if you picked up on that or not. I didn't notice that. D-I-T-Co. Uh, obviously a subtle-ish nod to Steve Ditko, co-creator. Uh, this is, that. I think this is the rare time that we've seen a, sta- a Steve Ditko reference before we see a Stan Lee cameo. Yeah, yeah. This is crazy. Um, uh, like I said, a lot of this trivia, um... Some of the more general stuff I'll say for like our last episode, there's stuff about like, you know, the planned third season, yeah. uh, stuff like that. But, you know, we'll, we'll get there um, during the opening credits of the show. Spider-Man's picture is seen on the cover of the Daily Bugle uh, holding a criminal as he swings from a web in yet another semi gratuitous uh, reference to the Amazing Fantasy number 15 cover. Uh, you know, can't really ever get away from that. Nope. Um. In terms of overall tone and style, the series is based principally, uh, like we've talked about a lot on the stories by Lee and Ditko, um, but it takes a with lot a bit, of with a bit of with a bit of Ramita Senior in there sprinkled a bit, a bit. But it takes a ton of inspiration with the characterization and uh, with the younger characters specifically from Ultimate Spider-Man, like we've talked about. 
Yeah. Um, that version of the comic was very, very popular around this time. I think it ran it ran in the early 2000s uh, yep. after Raimi. So it was at at that time, it was a lot more relevant than it is now. So that probably informed a lot of the well, uh, right right now. Ultimate Spider-Man as a comic doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, true. So it's uh, definitely definitely colored things a lot there. It uh, the Spider Ultimate Spider-Man ran from September 2000. So before Raimi won. Uh, yeah. to June 2011. So it was that little decade there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it uh, fun time for Spider-Man, but you it, it has it has ultimate fingerprints all over it. Uh, Darren Norris, actually, this is not his first time voicing J. Jonah Jameson. I don't know if you knew that or not. Uh, he was the voice of Jonah in the 2000 Spider-Man game for N64 and PlayStation. I did not know that. So, yeah, uh, technically that kind of predates uh, jk simmons as well so i guess that's just the ideal way that guy should be huh huh uh i did have a note here about the tombstone and place of kingpin but we've kind of already briefly gone over that uh also uh it's worth noting that d bradley baker uh voiced dr connors and the lizard also in that 2000 video game so we've got two voice actors from that game reprising the characters they already played um, he also voiced Dr. Connors in the sequel to that game, Spider-Man 2 Enter Electro. I forgot about I always forget that Spider-Man 2 Enter Electro exists. And one of the unlockable costumes in that is the 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 concept suit that Alex Ross had designed for Raimi 1, the red and black one that eventually influenced uh uh Superior mm. Spider-Man. That's yeah. that's fun. Um, this is also the first Spider-Man animated series to feature Flint Marco in multiple episodes. Uh, prior to this, he had never appeared in more than one episode of any Spider-Man or larger Marvel animated series. Always that just seems weird. One bit over and done. So, yeah, this is, um, you know, that that's good if you're a Flint Marco guy, I guess. If you're an average Flint Marco fan. Mm hmm. But that's uh, by and large, that's all the relevant trivia for these these six episodes. There will be more as time goes on. It's just, of you course. know, hard to talk about stuff we haven't already been talking about for the last two hours. You got you got to you got to space them out. Don't want to blow your load all at once. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, it's uh, um, interesting, interesting stuff there. Yeah. Uh, Alex, sort of what are your overall thoughts for these first six episodes before we move on to the back half of this first season? I am still kind of in a state of shock of how much I like this show. Um, I expected to like Spider-Man Blue just because I've known what happens in it for the, like the, the longest time without actually having read it. With this show, a lot of times when something gets so hyped up, especially when it's a show that got canceled too early, it's hard yeah. to go into that show not with like the expectations that you get from the, the larger fan base. Yeah, I've not, I've not been disappointed by the show once I I went into it knowing fully like, OK, this is a show for kids. I was half the age I was now when this show came out. It's not for me with a capital F. So I, I, I went into this with a with a grain of salt in hand. I haven't had to use the damn grain of salt. It's just been a good fucking show. I I I love that they didn't bog us down with the origin story because Jesus Christ, I knew the origin story for Spider-Man when I was five. I don't even remember anyone telling me how it happened. It just it's it's, it's shit, you know, if you're at this point in your your Spider-Man career, I guess. Um, yeah, great, great creative choice, as always, to not bog us down with the with that. Um, 
I thought it was an interesting creative choice to to give us Montana as the shocker, but it really does not affect anything, even with all this interconnection. That's one oh, yeah. thing I do love as well that we've already talked about is is the broad interconnection of the villain storylines, which is just sorely missing from a lot of Spider-Man media. I love the sound. I love the the music in it. Uh, the voice acting is top fucking notch, which I mm-hmm. we've said a lot in this. Uh, I love the art style. I love the the characterization. So far, I'm I'm having a really hard time finding fault with this show because nothing's perfect. Not, uh, even even Spider-Man Two, even into the Spider Verse, those have their their little you know noticeable cracks and stuff here and there. Uh, I'm having a hard time finding anything to say about the show in any kind of negative light so far. Uh, I I love how gross they're willing to get with some of the body horror type stuff especially for a cartoon uh it's great it's it fun pun fully fucking intended the show is spectacular and it's it's it it is a spectacle it's great it is it is a an honest piece of spider-man media is the best thing i can call it yeah uh i am I don't I don't know how many times I can just repeat what you said, but <laughs> this I'm really, really liking this show so far. Uh it's got, like I said, great animation, lots of really excellent acting and voice acting and writing. Uh I really like the direction we're going in so far. And there's What's still there? so much more to come. We've we it's obviously been teased that we're gonna get the symbiote, we're gonna get Doc Ock, we're gonna get the Green Goblin. There's 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 so much more that the show has to offer, even mm-hmm. in the uh, handful of episodes that we've got uh, in front of us. For as much that we have on the docket this season that I'm not looking forward to, namely like reading one more day, watching this musical that's on the horizon, the MTV show for all this stuff that's going to be like, uh, and for all the weird, you know, outsider stuff like like uh, the Nick Hammond show and then Toei. Um, I'm really glad that at some point there is some just capital Q quality stuff here to talk about. Um, yeah, I, I I've had this show sitting on my hard drive for months and I just never watched it until now. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm glad I, I was finally I, this show finally gave me a reason to get off my ass and finally watch it. Yeah, for sure. I um like I said, I, I finished up another show recently so that I, I usually watch two or three shows at a time. I have stuff I watch by myself and I have stuff I watch with my partner when we're both home from work and we just both finished up a show together. So I've, I've been like, Hey, let's, let's, uh, let's watch some spectacular Spider-Man. I got the, I got to watch it for the podcast anyway. And I finished episode six, two days ago. And I have actively had to remind myself, no, don't watch episode seven yet. You have the podcast to record in a couple days and you can watch it after that. So I'm probably going to watch episode seven in like maybe an hour. <laughs> I really like the show. Yeah, that's that's really all that all there is to say. So that's our show. Thank you so much for listening. If you've got a question or a comment that you want us to read on next week's episode, uh, be sure to send it to us at our email address, spideysignalspodcast at gmail.com. Or you can shoot us a DM on our Twitter at Spidey Signals. Next week. We're going to cover the back half of season one of The Spectacular Spider-Man. So until then, stay responsible. Oh, bye. I love you.